2: Hello, Commander. It is good to see you again.
3: This is the XCOM Podcast, backed by the XCOM Discord, part of the biggest XCOM fan community with more than 96,000 members across both Discord and Reddit.
4: Hello, and welcome to episode 7 of the XCON podcast. Joining me here today are my second-in-command, central officer, Hack.
2: Uh, hi
4: there. <laughs> Squid lord, Alex Williams.
3: I'm enthusiastic and attentive.
4: Radio DJ, Evan.
0: I wore pants this time.
4: <laughs> yes, you did. And, and they're I'm very
0: clean. Unlike I'm very the ones that full of blood.
4: Ooh, <laughs> <nice> <laughs> pants. And our don't, second don't guest ask. ever, Zero.
1: Pleasure to be here.
4: So, what are we talking about today, Heck?
2: This involves Zero here, as some of the some of the research that you've been doing, Cero, in regards to Fog of War and you know, NXCOM pertains to that. Um, my understanding is that you are you actually doing a, a PhD in uh, like Fog of War uh, in terms of games and stuff. Is that, yeah, is that that's
1: that's more or less right. So. I'm uh, doing a PhD that's a, a, basically a history of the fog of war, and by that I mean, uh, first of all, the term's use in military and strategic literature, um, but also I'm interested in its emergence in video, in game mechanics as well, and this predates video games. So I'm going back to like 19th century Prussian war games, which are the first place Uh, that you start having mechanics to try and uh, introduce forms of uncertainty and hidden information from uh, opposing players. Kind of, you know, if you think about the format of something like Battleship.
2: Well, in that case, I I, I simply have to know. I simply have to know. Do you like Stratego?
1: So, to be honest, I have not played Stratego, but I know sort of... um, um, I, I know of it. If that makes sense, yeah. You break my heart, uh, but uh, I think we'll, I think I would enjoy it.
2: We'll f- we'll focus this a bit more um, on what this podcast is about, I suppose. So, if uh, you don't mind, maybe explaining a little bit how um, how like a game like XCOM factors into uh, the research that you've been doing.
1: Sure. So, I mean, I mean, it's funny. Like the whole project actually, in part, emerged from and was inspired by spending thousands of hours playing long war, um, but uh, basically in in the XCOM franchise, almost in, in some senses, the entire game revolves around how you negotiate uncertainty as a player, right? How you encounter it, how you experience it, what things you do to uh, alleviate or take advantage of it. Um, yes. And that's also, you know, the same is basically true of, you um, Militaries have been doing this for, you know, since time immemorial, basically. Right. It's one of the fundamental problems of command is this uh, problem of uncertainty or a desire for certainty. Um, So XCOM and XCOM is really interesting because many of the mechanics that it uses can be traced back pretty directly to these early Prussian war games. So, you know, before we had video games, before we had, um, you know, uh, all sorts of kind of war games for hobbies. They they really first emerge uh, as professional wargames, so there's a there's like a direct continuity. Um, you know, you can imagine a table of Prussians like rolling dice and getting frustrated that their, uh, you know, line rifles were, uh, you know, missing ninety percent shots. Right, like that was uh, that was kind of happening back then. So
0: that's Prussian wargames, baby.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to <laughs> Ringspiel. So it sounds like um, as much as as the XCOM sort of community likes to think that raging at missing, you know, that 99% hit, goddammit, uh, it seems like that's something that um, we've been kind of doing for much longer than XCOM uh, has been about, or even your sort of video games we know them has been about.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And I mean, I I think what's what's fascinating too, right, is that uh, obviously there have been games of chance, going back thousands of years but originally they would have been you know chance uh, was tied up with uh, so sort of divination and the gods the will of the gods right it was divine providence whether your um, your bone splinters came you know the side with the notch up uh, indicating you know some kind of success right um it's only around the series um, where you start actually having a conception of of statistics right statistics as a discipline kind of emerges um and then very quickly gets taken up into uh into uh, board gaming basically and especially into professional board gaming so these games the krieg of uh from prussia were also the precursors to, to dungeons and dragons as well right that's where all those
3: right and uh, a lot of that i mean we if we really go back to the root of that uh and the popularization You've got little wars by H.G. Wells in 1913, which was almost the the mainstreaming of, well, you know like gameplay uncertainty as as a, a way of, of modeling wars for, for people who aren't necessarily engaged in Kriegspiel and and you know out there fighting for their lives and trying to uh, get the worst part of it out of the way, figuring out how to do it, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, um, and, and there's and there's sort of a just been a gradual um, kind of evolution, mutation uh, of these games and their popularity have kind of ebbed and flowed since then. I mean, I, I have to confess, I'm not such an expert in um, sort of the history of professional wargaming per se. Like my especially the stuff I've more been focusing on in my thesis has been the uh, especially at the moment, more of the military theory side. Right. Um, uh, going, you know, going back to like Sun Tzu, uh, the ancient Greeks, how they were conceptualizing um, sort of problems of information and uncertainty, um, up to contemporary. Um...
3: What's been the most interesting finding, do you think, from from the from the early and and maybe even ancient part of uh, dealing with uncertainty at a professional level?
1: But going like just just sticking to the early stuff or or more recently.
3: Specifically the early. We'll talk about the later later.
1: I think what's interesting is the um, like something I've been learning a lot about is basically the history of strategy as well and its relation to all of this. Mm -hmm. So we you know, I think we have this conception in the West of strategy as being like a you have a plan and then strategy is sort of your attempt to bring about uh, you know, to realize your plan, right? What actions will you take to bring it to fruition in some sense? Um, and what's what's quite fascinating is that there are other strategic traditions which conceptualize strategy in very, very different ways. Um, and, uh, you know, more I've been kind of reading some of the uh, early Chinese military theory, which has some interesting stuff to say about this. It's, you know, rather than like, you um, like You have this problem, right? The further you get from your initial plan uh, as time progresses, uh, the more chance there is for things to go wrong. And, of course, again, right. in NXCOM, we're very, very familiar with this, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, the philosophy is of like Sun Tzu, um, Zhuge Liang, you know, all, all these kind of ancient Chinese folks who are much more about uh, the kind of potential inherent in particular situations and bring it uh you know kind of uh, manipulating it uh, in in advantageous kinds of ways and so there's never a sense that things can go wrong things are always going to go in a particular way and it's just all about your ability to kind of exploit and take advantage of
4: now the whole idea of warfare as a, as a field of study is basically about you creating contingencies upon contingencies you can see that all the way from sensu to von Clausewitz and all to napoleon itself basically like uh zero said the idea is that you always plan for the unexpected and when the unexpected occurs you plan for the result of the unexpected and you can see that happening throughout the campaign against Hannibal in Italy and all the wars in Carthage so I find really interesting the whole uncertainty bit and how they basically just create a bunch of rules to deal with something that they don't know if it's gonna happen
1: yeah and it's been kind of perennial and in some ways I think uh you know intractable problem right it's not something that can ever go away but uh, I think especially in the 20th century, there has been, uh, you know, and and the 21st, lots of different moments where, especially Western militaries have felt like they could get rid of uncertainty, right? That uh, with the advent of computers, the advent of general yes. war or whatever, the sense that you could kind of dispel the fog of war, um,
4: Within uh, lift the, the fog I think of war, learned. yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, clearly that's, that has not happened and is, is unlikely to. I mean, the, the other side of this, too, of course, is just the fact that uh, uncertainty isn't just something that you deal with um, internally. It's also something that you can kind of uh, it's not just about limiting it in some cases. Sometimes it's advantageous to actually increase uncertainty. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's sort of um, the, the production or generation of uncertainty can also be valuable. I mean, just thinking about dropping a smoke grenade on your Uh, on your own troops in XCOM, right? Uh, What you're doing there is like, you know, increasing uncertainty for the, um, the aliens shooting at you. Increasing Um,
3: the space where you might be so that the artificial intelligence, uh, such as it is, doesn't know exactly where you are without cheating. And then, yeah, that's, it's just a, a means of, of waging war at the informational level, which, uh, is, is all too often overlooked.
0: Well, um, a real-life example of that would be uh, back in World War One. I'm going to do a bit of shilling for Canada and how good it was. But uh, after Vimy Ridge, the Canadians, Canadian forces, were, became known to the Germans as basically shock troops. And the when the Canadians show up, it means that the that the Allies are going to try to kick our asses. So let's uh, so if if the Canadians show up, we reinforce wherever they show up. So what the British would do, once they realized that that was a thing that the Germans would do, is they would, if they were planning to have the Canadians show up for something, because they had started using the shock troops, they would essentially say, okay, we're going to sneak in the Canadians, right? We're not going to have them show up and look like Canadians, or alternatively, we'll make it look like the Canadians are going over there, when really we're moving the bulk of the Canadians over here. And then they would do that. So effectively, it would be saying, it, "It would the British would go, oh, hey, look, the Canadians are moving over here, Germans, you want to reinforce over there. And then they would go, psych, actually, the Canadians were here the entire time, you complete idiot, fool. And then they would dab on the corpses of everyone they had bayoneted, all that.
4: <laughs> There's the same kind of misdirection that happened during Operation Overlord and the invasion the the day. The the basin went oh we're actually going that way yeah we're going that way look at all the troops going that way this is going that way and then they went the other way, which is genius.
0: Yes. Exactly. Yeah,
4: so um so Sarah out of curiosity
2: so to what extent does um intentional you know, intentional misdirection and i suppose subterfuge T- to what degree does that sort of play into the to the research that you've been doing on and uh, you know uh, the fog of war so to speak
1: so, it's not been something i've been looking into too much as a as like a primary focus but it's come up incidentally and i probably will write about it in some way um like what i'm what i've mostly been working on at the moment is is a much more um, kind of focused history of actually where the term comes from. I mean, something I should that's worth mentioning actually is just like even, even if you look up the Wikipedia for fog of war, the information there is a little bit uh, a bit misleading or unreliable in some ways. Like there is a um, fog of war is generally attributed to Karl von Clausewitz, uh, who's a Prussian military theorist. Wrote a text called *On War*, which is alongside *Sun Art of War*. You know, kind of held today, held up as one of the two uh, sort of you know ultimate uh, theorizations of the nature of war. Um, but Clausewitz himself never actually uses the the phrase *Fog of War* or Der Nebel des Kriegs*. Sorry, my my German is not very good, uh, despite having uh, recently moved to Berlin. Um, but yeah, so Klaaswitz never actually uses this term, although obviously he does theorize uh, uncertainty in quite a sophisticated way. Um, but despite this, the term is often treated in uh, and, and here I'm talking more about like, military theory and doctrine. It's treated as if it has a commonly agreed upon definition, despite the fact that nobody can really point to like exactly where it emerges or anything. And so part of what I've been doing is uh, trying to, you know, in a sense, there's like a fogginess Surrounding just the term itself, what it means, how it's been used. And so what I'm doing is kind of charting a bit of a history of this, this the concept itself. Um,
3: so, uh, Sarah, just to pull things together and, and get us into the XCOM space again, if looking at the research that you've, you've got lined up from Clausewitz on looking at XCOM itself and the mechanics thereof. What do you think is the most applicable part of the game to the the understanding of Fog of War as a concept and a developed idea as as clearly the developers came to see it?
1: I think uh, XCOM does a lot of things really well. Um, something one of the ways I've been thinking about the fog of war and explaining it is that it, it sort of has or the um, the you know it's used as a shorthand for uncertain, right? And there's all sorts of different ways in which we can think about uncertainty. Uh, and so we can think about things like the limits of our senses, right? Just th- things that we can't see that are out of range of our, our radar, movement sensors, whatever, those things are obviously unknown, uncertain to some extent. I mean, we might have some knowledge through a map, but we don't have, you know, real time information, right? So there's that. And obviously this is simulated in Nexcom very neatly through the, you know, what we're familiar with as a fog of war mechanic, right? The application of um a kind of fogginess around the limits of soldier vision which is uh, in here i'm going to focus more on um uh, xcom enemy unknown and enemy within and especially long war because that's the version of the game i've played the most by far like i think i have 2000 plus hours on lo- pretty much just long war like i played Fair one, I,
3: I think that matches yeah, all of our inclinations and then that is not mine
1: yeah <gasps> uh, yeah so you know, you, you've got like range of 17 tiles and then there's a hard cutoff, right? Like right. anything beyond that is kind of uncertain. Um, then you can talk about all sorts of different uncertainties to do with communication and information. Um, and I, I could go into a big monologue about um, Claude Shannon and information theory, but that would probably be... Yeah, because
3: we'd end up working out <laughs> Shannon uh, values for things and I think we'd just lose everybody else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hold but, on, who's Shannon? <laughs> so,
1: we're, not a, um, we're not having that discussion. Yeah, he's yeah. like an information theorist. Wait, 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 we don't need to go there, but, um, okay. but
3: Basically, don't worry about
1: it. Yeah, yeah, but basically, um, in XCOM, you often what we're dealing with are uh, situations where we're presented with the fact that. Uh, our our decisions are not deterministic right like the chance that we have chance to hit values is obviously the most important one that which are which are displayed but there's other things too right like how much damage a grenade is going to do the scatter of a rocket um uh, uh these are all ways in which the game presents informational uncertainties to us right
3: we not only don't um, understand what the enemy is doing we don't necessarily know what the outcome of our choices are going to be
1: and as a Unless you save con- scum Unless you're doing that, but let's you know we're all purists here, of course, right? Absolutely. No,
0: no. Well, okay, okay. Yes. In fairness. I did. I did do Iron Man, uh, classic, and on my impossible run, I did. I didn't uh, save scum, which was unfortunate for the first seventeen times I attempted to, and then <laughs> lost because sectoids are absolute bastards.
3: Yes,
0: they are. I mean.
1: Um, Sorry, just just one more thing on this. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so just as a consequence of this, right, um, we also basically get into problems of our own decision-making. Like, the more complicated a situation is, the more enemies we have on the map, the more different, uh, you know, to hit values we're receiving, we have the problem of actually figuring out optimal moves as well. And so there's a kind of almost like a decisional labor problem. Like, how do I come up with an optimal move? Uh, you know i don't obviously you don't want to spend your whole day taking one turn in xcom um, and so that uh that's also in a in a different kind of way another form of uncertainty that arises right like how you actually go about parsing the information that is presented to you uh, in a way that can give you useful outcomes
3: in a timeline that uh, is actually useful for you because you know don't want to spend all day on single vote some people do it's not the way i like to play
2: Yeah, and um, a question that that I had uh, really quickly is I think for a lot of people it's very easy to conceptualize the sort of uncertainty, the fog of war, that an XCOM you experience through the game's tactical layer, um, where, you know, that game quite literally has what we would refer to as as fog of war mechanics, Um, and it's very easy to, you know, Again, see the uncertainty with your hit chances and all that kind of stuff. Um, what sort of fog of war uh, uncertainty uh, sort of experiences and mechanics have you kind of observed in the game's uh, strategy layer? Uh, if you've, if you've uh, looked at yeah, that,
1: I'm so glad you asked this because this was the the next level of the fog of war that I was going to get to, basically, which is um, uh, that. With the strategy layer, you you kind of start the campaign at the beginning, and then very quickly, like the change, the you know the things you do to the uh, AI, whether you're you know hitting harvesters um, successfully, like shooting down UFOs, preventing them from um, carrying out bombing runs. There is a very clear set of feedback loops between you and the AI that's built into the game's uh, code. and so you can kind of create these snowballs, right? Like if you're doing well, um, you'll start to see less on the ma- appearing on the map, for example, right? Um, and so uh, there's a kind of um, uncertainties that stem from this overall like, complex series of interactions between you and the AI. Uh, and obviously the AI acts in a somewhat predictable way. Um, But most of this information isn't presented to us as players explicitly, right? It's all kind of behind the scenes. And so one of the things that we're doing as an XCOM community, and I mean, to a large extent this has already been achieved, is figuring out more or less what the code is uh, getting the AI to do, and then figuring out how to exploit that, right? Um, So we're we're kind of in this strange kind of game of, like the first time we play a game like Long War um, or Enemy Within or whatever, all of this is kind of, pretty much all of this is uncertain to us. Um, uh, and, uh, but but even once we do start to figure out what's going on, you know, once we do have a sense of like, okay, the aliens are going to launch this many bombing runs, this many terror missions or whatever, and it will change based on the XCOM threat level and the, you know, the number of resources the aliens have, um, whatever it is, uh, it's, there's still... Um, I guess a certain degree of randomness right like we still don't know when the aliens are showing up uh within each month um so there's yeah there's all kinds of i mean I, i couldn't even begin to list them all basically right there's all sorts of different uncertainties happening inside the strategic layer and it's i think the feedback between the strategic layer and the tactical layer that makes the game so great like the um, I think that, that dynamic with the, with meld is an especially good one, right? Like that you start to see less meld on appear on the map as the aliens are doing, you know, as XCOM is doing better and the aliens are doing worse, um, that kind of thing.
3: Sort of a self-correcting uh, difficulty curve. Well, you can quibble about the actual results in terms of, of game design, but it is a really interesting loop between your choices and the system's choices and it tells an interesting story. I think the popularity of the platform actually speaks worlds in support of, of how good a job they've done.
1: Yeah, I think so. And, uh, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's I think, one of my favorite parts of the game, basically. And, of course, the AI is still... Um, like maybe one, I don't know, distinction that I'm using in my thesis that might be interesting here is um, there's this very influential uh, theorist of cybernetics called uh, Norbert uh, Wiener. And he has this, uh, this term he uses. He calls the, like, he's, so he's talking about feedback loops um, and regulating systems like a thermostat or whatever, right? Uh, and he says there's, a, there's these two sort of demons or devils. There's what he calls the Augustinian devil and the Manichaean one. And the Augustinian one is like the forces of nature Entropy, uh, right? And this is what we're fighting against with many of our Self-regulating systems things like thermostats Um, But you also have the Manichean devil who's basically a a kind of uh, rational intelligent agent who can actually deceive you um, Engage in trickery deception lying whatever right? Um, and so XCOM is fundamentally still a Augustinian system, which is trying to simulate or present to you as if it's uh, um, a mannequin one. Right. Um, and I, I think especially early, like your first experience of XCOM, it really does feel, I think, uh, I think it speaks well to the game's developers, especially in Long War, um, how well the game, especially, with, especially at the strategic level, um, these feedback loops between you and the AI, Gives you the feeling of uh, a kind of enemy that has some degree of agency and can work against you, uh, and and it's it's that kind of a um, an opponent. Uh, it's, it's struggling against an opponent like that where the degree of uncertainty is highest, right? It's like right. playing game of poker against someone who is just just knows the basic rules versus someone who like knows that you are bluffing, knows that they have to vary their play patterns, and so you're playing against them on you know over a large number of hands and all this matters right right that's the same kind of thing
3: as a side note if you uh, haven't looked into it already AI war 2 which is uh, arson games uh, produced by Chris Park is doing some very very interesting stuff about uh, dichotomous AI level, Operations and in breaking down into even smaller groups, you might find it really interesting uh, to look into what they're doing with with fog of war and, and uncertainty both ways. Uh, you know, just game space.
1: I will check that out. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um,
3: just happened to make me think about it when you monicaean versus Augustinian. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. What that looks like?
0: I have no idea what's going on. I <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> people are saying words. And some of them I understand. So I'm just quiet, like, mm-hmm, yeah, 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 I understand. Yes, this is Augustinian. Yeah, I yeah, agree. Yeah. Very uh, very Machiavellian. <laughs> Brilliant.
3: I'll, I'll slip you a copy of Augustine's Treatises uh, after the show. You'll love it. You'll, you'll get Oh, high. God. No, That'd listen, I haven't even...
0: I still need to finish Gulag. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, I, I probably should have... Gulag um... Archipelago, that, that book. Mm.
1: My my apologies. I probably should have given a like disclaimer. You know, uh, just complete unreconstructed academic nerd incoming here. Like I'm not really capable of. Um, I don't know uh, speaking.
2: speaking like normal people.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, just just yeah, you they, wait.
3: They keep me here, so you
0: know. <laughs> Listen, don't. As long as you don't get me started on some of the glorious, glorious uh, words of intricacies that are involved in things like uh i i I'm moving soil you' you're good
2: mm. <laughs> so um out of curiosity so i I know you obviously you you've said that your research uh obviously spans a very 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 long sort of time periods um and whatnot um out of curiosity in terms of uh, the realm of, of of video games you know have there been besides xcom have there been sort of other sort of video games that, you, that you've looked at, or is it primarily been, you know, for XCOM, you know, sort sorry for video games, XCOM. And apart from that, you know, is it, you know, all been much older sort of sources?
1: I'm not really like, it's funny, the way I'm writing my, the thesis is I, like my, my field is actually media studies. So I'm mostly focusing on the um, the more theoretical, Kind of military doctrine theory side of things but i'm including some sections where i touch on examples of popular media um so there's going to be uh xcom is probably going to get some mention and the other game i'm going to talk about is actually CS:GO uh, counter strike oh. global offensive um, if you think about something like the use of smoke grenades and flashbangs in that game um, to create you know, players create situations of uncertainty in that game. It's funny, right? It doesn't have an explicit fog of war mechanic per se in the way that XCOM does, but nonetheless, there very much is a fog of war in Counter Strike Global Offensive. The five players can only see so much of the map at the same time. Uh, they constantly have to make moves to gather information, uh, and of course, yeah, you have these really intricate strategies involving smoke grenades and flashbangs. Um to deny information to the opposing side and make space for executes and so on. So I that's something I'm really, really interested in.
0: Well, um I I can sort of uh I, I think I can add to that because I understood that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of a lot of first person shooter games will have uh for instance, one of the ones I'm most familiar with is Titanfall 2. Great game. Everyone yes, go buy it amazing. right now. It's on yep. Steam. Go buy it. But um in in the multiplayer there. A lot of the pistols have um, a silencer attachment, so that you'll be able to, you know, your gunshots won't won't uh, alert uh, because usually, right, when you're when you're on the mini map, when you look at the mini map, you'll see where gunshots are coming from. So, and that can be, you know, that can be a grunt, or that can be a specter, or that can be an actual player. So, if you're a player and you've got your pistol. You want to take your pistol and you want to put a silencer on it because the silencer, while it does reduce the damage your pistol does per shot, means that you don't actually, your shots don't actually show up on the minimap. Other Other players can't see that. So as a result, you're decreasing the chance that someone will notice you before you can kill them. Or alternatively, you're going to miss all your shots, they're so going to notice you because they're not complete idiots, and then you're going to get killed. But so seen of of that, yes. But on top of that, they'll you know you only have you can you only have so many uh, things. Like you can tell based on on it'll say oh so and so has dropped a titan, but you don't know where that titan's dropped until one of your teammates has established visual contact with it. They've engaged the titan, or they're hearing the titan's footsteps. As well, you can also hear gun. You can also hear gunfire, but. You know, not even just ignoring the mini-map. But you still don't know where... You, you have a general idea of where it's coming from, but you don't know how far away, necessarily, or who even is doing it. So, you know. Plus, then you also have things like Cloak that, or, or Stim. And it's all... Or, or uh, Phase Shift is my favorite one for this, because with Phase Shift, you have the uncertainty of, okay, he's gone. Where did he go? And so, with and in the worst case scenario with phase Shift, you get killed because he reemerged inside your corpse. <laughs> that kind of thing. That's
3: a little awkward. Yes, it, it is. True. Yeah.
0: So you um, know, there's a lot of uncertainty in proving things, or just changing of how the mobility is.
2: So, um, out of sort of curiosity, again, so you've you've been looking into the Fog of War for you know quite quite some time. Have you found that having a um, having a, a detailed understanding of of fog of war uh, and, and uncertainty? Uh, have you found that, that that has been of some sort of value in like day to day, you know, <laughs> life? Not uh, not 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 necessarily in, in in the military sense, but just as a you know your average Joe out there. Do, do you think that they could benefit a lot? From potentially having a lot to know about fog of war, or uh, an uncertainty, or is this, would you say, sort of a sort of I- information that is maybe best suited and only really suited to a m- more sort of military style situations?
1: No, definitely. I mean, we are, we all deal with um, fundamentally. We're all dealing with uncertainty all of the time, and I think if anything makes it explicit, it's the pandemic right now, right? Um, like. Uh, I think if everyone treated the pandemic like they played XCOM, uh, I think we'd probably be like in a better situation right now. I mean, maybe you know, this is getting straying into politics a little too I, much. I've seen but, the um, way
3: people play XCOM. I'm not sure that's necessarily <laughs> the best. Uh, actually, it <laughs> probably <laughs> does some. There are out <laughs> there.
1: Yeah, I mean, may, maybe I'm optimistic about the like quality of XCOM players, but certainly, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean to its credit, right, one of the things XCOM does is it kind of ed- educates you a little bit about how statistics work, hopefully, right? Yes. Um, and, no. uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, but, but I, th- I think, um, you know, w- one way I think about this and say this in a way that makes some, is like comprehensible in some way, but, uh, oh, yeah, so um, we're just having to make like we have these problems of decisional labor right it's like how much time are we going to spend thinking about this thing um and often in xcom like we'll skirt around the edges of a map partly to avoid the ai but also because uh if we can kind of limit our engagements on the on a like small um it's kind of small contained way we have less complicated decisions to make right um and so i often think about that principle in my day-to-day life like oh, if I take this course of action, um, is it going to put me in a situation where I have to make decisions that are really, really complex and therefore difficult to kind of uh, come up with an optimal solution or not? So, I mean, I think fundamentally this this type of approach does make you very risk averse. And obviously that's not always useful. Um, I, I guess sometimes also it teaches you to know like some risks are worth taking and should be exploited. And so it's like knowing when you should take risks and when you shouldn't. Um, I feel like maybe this is more straying into just what games teach you about life in general, right? Like a classic useful heuristic in games is if you're losing at a game, especially a game involving some degree of chance, you know, you're not doing well, that's that's a time to take risks, right? Like to, play, to, to gamble more effectively. Um, whereas if you're like miles ahead, you should take Low risk like conservatively. um yeah, exactly. And XCOM is similar, right? Like uh, a good example of this. You're you're gonna um, if you, like there's one sectoid left on the map. You can take a 75% chance shot to hit it, or you can throw a grenade and kill it for sure. Like, yeah, it makes sense to kill that grenade. You know, to just use the grenade most
0: of the time, unless it's impossible um, and they have four health. In which case, you're <laughs> going to cry and. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. In which yeah. case you're going to take the shot, right? Um, um, but um, but yeah, you know, maybe you're going to have to take more shots rather than rely on your utility if you're overwhelmed with the AI and you're going to be losing people anyway. So you just actually need to get a whole bunch of kills. You know, then you're going to take your yeah. shots. Sorry, I'm talking more about the game than real life here, obviously. But I think those those types of I can't think of a direct analogy off the top of my head right now, but I think those types of situations do actually present themselves in in real life as well, and it's just a matter of like teaching yourself to recognize when you're in that kind of a spot.
2: It it certainly sounds to me that you know even even you know people that aren't you know in the military and you know they aren't in war zones um in their day to day life. It sounds like regardless of that, everyone experiences the fog of war even when they are not in a war.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is because we're not gods, right? We're not omnipotent. So, speak speak (laughs) for yourself.
2: Except Alex. He is obviously uh, an omnipotent, omniscient being. Clearly,
3: clearly transcendent in every way. (laughs) But yes, there's a a good reason that Sun Tzu has has become a a real touchstone for a lot of, of people who aren't militarily inclined uh, just business people are looking for guides to life because that kind of thinking the assess your situation understand your enemy know yourself uh understanding the fog of war from day to day in your life is something that people are interested in and interested in getting a handle on so you know i mean
1: i guess the nice little thing you know i can add to this here is sun tzu spends a lot of time talking about um basically like spying, like developing these sophisticated networks of spies, all the different types of spies you need. And the reason he's saying this basically is he puts a premium on having reliable, robust information. Obviously, you don't always have this, but uh, it's useful if you can get it. And so again, that's you know that's something you can uh, like. It's not just about having information. It's about having information that you can trust and that you can count on. Um, I mean, I don't know. I guess XCOM maybe teach some funny lessons with this, right? Like, every now and then the game glitches out, has a bug, you know, the I'm thinking about the classic, like, suppression Overwatch bug yes. at the edge of the 17 tiles, for example, like these kinds of situations, but um, even that I guess glitches its, are a different phenomenon entirely. Even that entirely. has its
3: analog in real life, because sometimes you just don't know all the rules. Yes, sometimes things yeah. happen.
1: And I mean, you know, this is circling back a long way, but Uh, Heck, you you know, you asked me earlier about does XCOM kind of simulate the fog of war well, and it's like, yeah, while it does do a lot of these things nicely, fundamentally, it's still a game that has a bunch of pretty hard coded rules every now and then there are glitches. But even the glitches we kind of know to some extent now, right? If you play Long War enough, you become familiar with those, too. Um, And so uh, a game that that would really properly have a like. some of these more vexing uncertainties would be a game that could write its own code basically right that could change its own rules oh Um, i I would hate playing that game i mean it would be (laughs) it would be really that would be something right and of course there are games that do attempt to do this in various ways like magic the gathering has lots of cards which effectively like change the rules of the game um, on them but even these are kind of known uh you know kind of known to the players in advance. Um, I mean, I'm sure there must be other experiments with, uh... Games with I dynamic
3: think. rule sets that are self-reflexive? Sure. Yeah, there's, yeah, uh, but... It... Flux, if you want card games in particular. There's Nomic, if you want a game that is literally about making the rules of the game as you go. Uh, if you haven't looked into Nomic, it's fantastic. I love it. It's one of my favorite game designs of all time.
0: Well, there's, um, there's a few cards in, um, Slay the Spire that'll change how the rules... Work yeah, that's a good example. Too. So, so for instance, um, uh, I believe it's uh, what's it, what's it called? I um, so fortify and um, or is it, It's either fortify or barricade. I can't remember the exact name. It is a card for ironclad that will normally, right, in the game, block disappears after one turn. But if you have either barricade or fortify again, I can't remember the card name. It it's the one with all the shields, um block will not disappear at the end of your turn and similarly uh the silent has a card called blur that means that whatever block you've accrued at the end of your of that turn won't disappear until the end of the next turn and then of course you also have calipers that instead of removing all of your block will only remove 15 block per turn and all that so you've got a bunch of you've got a bunch of things that will slightly change how the rules work. Or, or change how things work. Like, um, this island has a mechanic called, um... Disc- discarding. That... That completely changes... That, that's really focused on, uh, card draw, and it allows you to really change how... how, uh, cards... How, how your card flow works. It, it, it allows you to control the chaos a lot more. So you have all these different, uh, mechanics, and that's ignoring, like, watchers, uh, wrath stance and all that stuff I
2: okay. think that Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah I think that as a kind of sta- as it stands in terms of our, our capability with uh, making games uh, and, and technology at the moment I think that it, it sounds to me video games have a fundamental problem that means that they'll never be able to perfectly simulate fog of war in a way that um, that you experience, people experience in, in day-to-day life, uh, and, and sort of the military experience in, in real life as well. Because you know, at the end of the day, games can only do what the developers make space for to happen. Um, you know, if, if something, something happens, n- nothing is nothing is, I would say, truly uncertain in a game. Because even if you don't know which outcome is going to happen, you at the very minimum you know all the potential outcomes that can happen. So you know you don't know, like with an XCOM specifically, you know you don't know if a shot is going to hit or not, but you know it's either going to hit or it's going to miss, and you know if it if it hits, you know the exact you know the range of damage it can do. So you don't necessarily know what will happen, but you know, if you played XCOM long enough, I dare say this goes for a lot of other games as well, you know, if you are an expert at a game, you know all the things that can happen. Um, and, you know, from what is happening, you can make a reasonable inference as to what could happen. And that's not something that is necessarily true for real life. You know, in real life, you know, we aren't following, you know, we aren't always following a rigid set of if this, then that sort of commands. You know, we are very strange thinkers, and we can just do things seemingly out of nowhere that makes no sense to anyone but the person that thought of it. And so I think to some extent, video games in in specific, have a kind of fundamental limitation there. Well, Um, within
3: the context of digital systems you have simulation versus game. Now, the games generally are intended for humans to be able to master, and thus they have rules in a very mechanical sense, like XCOM, where your unknowns are known, as opposed to the unknown unknowns. But there are games which hinge on being simulations, which thus have emergent environments and emergent experiences. They don't tend to be very popular in terms of war games, because that's now it goes against the whole game part of it, but once you once you drop simulations in there and agents rela- reacting <laughs> and agents reacting to other agents uh, with rules which emerge not predeterminately, even digital domain experiences can really push that whole. I'm I'm not exactly sure not only what I'm doing or what the enemy is doing, but what either of us is truly fully capable of doing, and that provides a, an entirely different kind of experience. Now, it's it's a challenge to do, and very few designers are, are going for that, for obvious reasons. Um, but considering that you can make flock simulations from a handful of rules, literally four rules, you know, and independent agents, and you have emergent behavior which is unpredictable come from a mere handful of rules. Uh it's it's not impossible. It's just not a game at that point. And XCOM, for all of everything else that it is, for all of the lore, for all of the time and effort that people put into it, it is very much and very clearly a game by intent and design. So
0: I
1: mean, it's kind of a, you can you can kind of have a Venn diagram of game and simulation which overlaps to some extent yes, too. Yes, absolutely. Right? And, and I, th- I think XCOM is an example of this. It it has some elements of that are simulation. You know the the way in which it does. Um, and, and I mean this, this this goes right back, right? Like the something I've found in some of my research is that the early Kriegspiels, their the statistical firing tables for the rifles in that game were actually based on the actual data that was just being gathered about the real-world rifles that were being used. So there's there's that kind of stuff, right? Games can do that sort of thing. Um, but then, uh, yeah, as you say, there are some features that don't correspond so well. And I, I think it's worth stressing, too, that I don't think we would necessarily enjoy playing games that, were tr- that truly had uh, kind of unknown unknowns, contingencies, um, having people, a certain degree of constraint. People make rapidly
3: it. want to quantify those unknown unknowns in order to make decisions about them. that is that is human consciousness at its core. So yeah, I, I think that you're right at people generally either go away from them if they're truly unknowable or quantify them and come to grips with them very rapidly. If they are knowable. Also well, I think, No, who's going to speak? Who's going to say it? Go ahead, Cyril.
1: Oh, um, I was just going to say um, another sort of instructive lesson from early Prussian wargaming here was that um, you know the the more realistic you try to make your game, which and by realistic what we often mean is actually introducing more and more systems for simulating more and introducing more and more forms of uncertainty, the more bloated and complex their rule sets become. Uh, and therefore the more you know the less accessible and playable they often are um, for the the user or player right so there's a kind of and I mean I, I think there are ways you can kind of navigate that I don't think it's a hard and fast kind of paradox but uh, it's certainly a challenge um, and then the, the one other thing I was going to mention just in terms of the like games which can truly have some pretty fun forms of Contingency? Well, if you offload the um, introduction of contingency to um, to a human player who's kind of running the game, as in Dungeons and Dragons, uh, there you can do it too, right? Your dungeon master, what's their role? It's to kind of be an um, uncertainty engineer in a certain kind of sense. Um, and again, the early Prussian war games did this too. At a certain point, they they realized like, hey, Running Kriegspiel based on all these rules is maybe a bit unwieldy. Let's make a variant where one of our um, officers uh, actually is the person who kind of, um, rather than rolling dice, they'll be the one who determines the outcomes and can kind of introduce more novel forms of uncertainty
0: as well. Um, well,
2: uh, on you know, honestly, all this talk of uh, of the, of these Prussian war games and uh, um I'll be honest, it's good. it's actually interested me to the point where I'm just checking um, how, if it's even something that you could feasibly do today. that yes, people
3: do it all the time. In fact, the Pentagon yeah. is really big on wargaming. There's an entire subsection of, of the military establishment in the US, which is now specializing and even hiring specialists, experts, and, and field people who have designed games and worked on games who aren't even military themselves as consultants to build war games. Wargaming has moved into uh into the boardroom for businesses. Yeah.
2: All of it's about the understanding pandemic as well. and managing, people like,
1: managing war it. gaming COVID. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean because one thing uh that I'm I suppose I'm, I'm more referring to the old Prussian like uh Kriegspiel you know they would have actually done uh, with you know, with physical boards and whatnot, I suppose as compared to the more modern, you know, war game that you know militaries do today. Uh, uh, know, in in still terms, yeah, in terms of the more modern, in terms of the stuff that uh, they do today, um, my understanding is that they like to use um, a, a professional version of what of what has been released, kind of as a game. A more simulation in the game, though, is Command Modern Operations. I don't know if either of you have heard it's, of Command it's Modern Operations. one of Operations the
3: platforms are... that is getting some, uh, some, some good money and good exposure in the field. Yeah, but but there are a lot of classic, very, very classic tabletop war game minis and te- maps gaming going on in uh, it, for war preparation right now with various levels and details of. Of simulation versus interpretation and uh, running. Yeah, all of these things are happening simultaneously. All the classic forms are still in play.
2: Is there anything that, that you want to maybe finish with, Sarah, in terms of Fog of War? You know, I don't know. Something that, yeah, I don't know. Something fundamental about Fog of War you want people to know or, or anything like that? Or you think people ought to know?
1: So maybe rather than fog of war, I just had one other like fun thing I, I thought I could mention, which is that um, and this is this is another fun extra XCOM angle, which is uh, an important part actually of how militaries have conceptualized uncertainty and the unknown is actually um, the U- the US's UFO programs in the late 1940s, early 1950s, you know, through to the 1960s um, projects sign. Uh, um blue book, I'm trying to remember what the third one is called. Um grudge, Projects Grudge sign a blue book. Um and these were, you know, initially set up to actually, you know, the concern wasn't so much were there alien, were these things aliens, but um, you know, do, did the Soviets have spy planes that we weren't able to detect with our radar and so on, right? And so the US military had to develop um a kind of system, a scientific system for Um, kind of classifying uh, and studying unknown objects. And of course, there's a, you know, there's a nice, enjoyable resonance here with XCOM, right? Um, It's funny to think about that little shared history, right? Which is that presumably, you know, in the lore of the game, one would imagine the XCOM project would have had some kind of lineage connected with, uh, you know, probably with like the legacy of Project Blue Book. And we know that these programs have been rebooted on and off since the 1960s as well right there's recently been a bunch of uh, you know it seems like we're in the middle of another wave of um dod ufo declassifications right now um so yeah i just thought i'd throw that in there as just like a enjoyable aside
2: and with that thanks for listening to the XCOM podcast we are now at the very end of episode seven don't forget to comment below subscribe to the channel and fill in the feedback form And also, don't forget to join the Discord, because you know you want to. Thanks to Squidlord Alex, that random Canadian heaven, and to our guest, Cero.
0: So, goodbye.
1: I was just going to say, thanks for having me.
2: Good luck, Commander.